0: Welcome to the Faith Forward podcast series. Faith Forward is a grassroots network dedicated to bringing together leaders of ministry with children, youth, and families for collaboration, resourcing, and inspiration toward innovative theology and practice. Through this series, we'll learn from creative, forward-thinking leaders who are pushing the boundaries and reimagining what it means to follow Jesus' way of love and justice today. Join us as we instigate a revolution of hope in our world.
1: Shun a light, don't shy away. You got more, more than it takes, you know. You know. Shine a light, don't hide away. You got more, more than you say, you know.
0: Oh. Welcome, everyone, to the Faith Forward Podcast. My guest today is Annie Lockhart-Gilroy. She is Assistant Professor of Christian Education and Practical Theology at Phillips Seminary in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And she's a brilliant theologian whose work focuses on emancipatory pedagogy and uh, youth, and and particularly the spiritual formation of youth. Uh, She has a BA from Dickinson College, an MDiv from Princeton Theological Seminary, and a PhD in Christian Education and Congregational Studies from Garrett Evangelical Theological, Sem- uh, Theological School. Her recent book is titled Nurturing the Sanctified Imagination of Urban Youth. Annie, I'm so glad to be speaking with you today. Welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, it's a delight to have you here. Um, I have been a, a fan of your work for a while. I think we met 12 or 13 years ago for the first time at a Religious Education Association conference. And we were both students and we were both volunteering to do registration, I think, on the first day. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's great to, to see you again. Uh, of course, we've crossed paths since then. Indeed. Um, But for our listeners who haven't known you from doing registration at Religious Education Association, (laughs) um, can you tell us a bit about your work and, uh, in general and especially how emancipatory pedagogy intermingles with your interest in youth ministry and spiritual formation?
1: Sure. So my work focuses on, um, as you said, the spiritual development of young people. I specifically, with my dissertation, focused specifically on black girls from foreign working class backgrounds, mm-hmm. as I looked at the intersection of race, class, gender, age, and faith, um, and what particularities that were there that we needed to pay attention to.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And as to how emancipatory pedagogy intertwines, I think it is, it is the core of what I do, right? So my goal is that um, all of my teaching practices, all of my, you know, you know, when I put together syllabi, when I have courses, when I do activities, um, there has to be the focus on emancipatory pedagogy.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, I think, I mean, that is, that, that is my, pedagogical hermeneutic, if you will.
0: (laughs) Right, right. So for those who might not be familiar with one or both of those terms, what what does emancipatory pedagogy mean?
1: So I believe that the purpose of Christian education is to free people to be children of God that they were meant to be.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: I believe that this, I mean, my work is focused in a U.S. context, Right. Um, and I believe in that context, there are societal forces that oppress people in a variety of ways, right? So we're with the population I worked with, we're dealing with racism, we're dealing with sexism, we're dealing with classism, ableism, the intersexuality of all of these isms and yeah. homophobia and these distort one's view of who they are and who they are in Christ Mm -hmm. and who they are as God's creation and what that means to have the image of God within them, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And these distortions in many ways keep us hostage. I think good Christian education frees us from that, right? right? So that is how it is emancipatory and it frees in a variety of ways right so it gives individuals the ideas the knowledge the wisdom to break free from all of these distortions right and become their true self yeah and then it also has to free us in a communal and societal way right Mm -hmm. so It has to also be public theology. It is Mm -hmm. not enough to say um, racism is out there and it's bad and it's doing harm and damage and killing people. But let me tell you how to be okay. Right. Right. So as long as I just talk to this one Black person, (laughs) right? Like that's (laughs) that's not enough. Mm -hmm. Right. There has to be the challenge that we are fighting racism in the society as well.
0: Right. Right. And, and I think some of that, uh, I mean, you talk about this in, in your writing, uh, has to do with, with labels as well. Things like uh, the label of at risk, right? That, mm-hmm. for example, um, uh, is one of those conceptions that you are challenging through your research and, and your, uh, your teaching as well. Um, so... Each person, regardless of who they are and and who they're from, you you talk about is unique and valuable and has a story that needs to be attended to. And that's worth listening to. Um, What what are the what are the consequences, I guess, of these labels and these conceptions that are oppressive and the consequences of those that are, uh, I guess, being freed of those to, to be emancipated of those?
1: The consequences of those labels that are oppressive. Um, I think I mean the oppression in and of itself is a consequence.
0: Of course, yeah. Right? Yeah.
1: Um, and this not living into um, for the lack of you know, sounding like just <laughs> um, like a, I don't know, <laughs> hippie idologue, but <laughs> not living into your true self. Right. Right. That is that, that that's that's a tragedy right yeah. like that's not um having people believe that they are not worth particular things right so when I talk about the term at risk you know working um and running in a group for at-risk youth mm-hmm. for many years um and in the book um I talk about how I worked with those youth on the weekends and then I worked in this Uh, private school. Right. Right. Um, Lots of money and privilege from the week and how the kids were similar. And often what was the most distinct was how they saw their future and what they think they should have.
0: Wow.
1: Right. And that is a problem. Right. Um, And it's easy to say, well, people with more money have more options and more access. Mm-hmm. So they think they should have more. Um, and I think we forget what money buys us because not only does it buy us the more access, it buys people the idea that they, be- the belief that they should have that access.
0: Mm-hmm. They
1: deserve that access, mm-hmm. right? And others do not deserve that access. Yeah. Um, and none of this, is based on anything other than what you happen to be born into Mm -hmm. right so we're talking about birthright we're Mm -hmm. not talking about meritocracy we're not talking about what you earn we're not talking about what you deserve based on anything else but birthright yeah um well if you're a child of god (laughs) yeah your birthright is pretty awesome
0: Yeah. And, and that's the true self, right. From a theological Mm -hmm. perspective, um, that's the true self as you are a child of God. You're made in God's image, regardless of your, your human circumstances of of your birth. Yeah.
1: And there is no one that gets to say, this is, this is what you should achieve. Mm -hmm. And I try to be, and hopefully I was successful, very (laughs) careful um, about, Saying this is not about helping people get stuff or get to right. particular areas, right? Like, like I don't, I don't want to tell. Like, I never told the population um, you should have X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I wanted them to know is that they could, if they wanted it, mm-hmm. right? That it's not it. No one gets to tell you it's out of your reach, right? Right. Um, because of of circumstances you were born into. Now there's a whole other work that is not individual um, of having to dismantle that Mm -hmm. entire system that places people in these positions. Mm -hmm. Um, But while we do that, we also have individuals, actual people that are being hurt by these systems and we need to care for them and their individual souls.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Well, it, it reminds me of, uh, I, I've been doing a little bit of reading about Michel Foucault's ideas of pastoral power and this idea of the, the paradox of the shepherd at the same time cares for the individual sheep and the entire flock.
1: Exactly. And,
0: and that's the paradox of of ministry.
1: Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> and,
0: and, and so, you know, in the title of the book, you, you, you use this adjective sanctified, um, for the term imagination. So what exactly is uh, sanctified imagination? Because I feel like we're getting there. You're saying, you know, it's not about the stuff. It's it's the, You're talking about uh, freeing people's imaginations, but a particular mm-hmm. type of sanctified imagination. So what does that mean?
1: Right. So there's a couple of things there. One, I wanted to make sure I use the term nurturing because I wanted to be clear that we don't need to give young people imagination. Yeah. Right? like they have it. And in fact, there are a whole lot of systems that are based in just squelching it, right? right. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, you just imagine too much. This is the world, the world is mean, the world is dirty. It is not fair, deal with it, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and instead of squelching it, I think we need to nurture it, yeah. right? So I start there, um, I think, What quickly comes to mind is a scene from the summer movie in the Heights um, Hmm. where uh, Jimmy Smith's character says to his daughter, um, you know, this is where you become better than me, Hmm. right? Because you are able to see a world I can't see, Yeah, right? Um, Because she's talking about how she is going to fight for particular rights in her community and make her community better. And I love that line because often people think about, I want my kids to be better than me, right? Mm -hmm. And it's often in like, you know, socioeconomic class or stuff or higher positions societally, right? Um, But to be able to see a world I can't see. Yeah. Because you can't create a world if you can't see it. But how do we get that imagination, Mm -hmm. right? and what is the difference between the sanctified one the term sanctified first came to me um honestly from black preaching mm-hmm. as some would say you know as they em, uh, embellished on a story right mm-hmm. um in the bible and they would say you know well in my sanctified imagination you know mm-hmm. you know daniel had his pajamas on as he was in the lion's den you know what i mean like they would add yeah. to it right so like this idea that this 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 imagination is is touched by the Holy Spirit in someone when talking about biblical texts, right? Mm-hmm. And as I looked at sanctu- sanctification, the theologian I worked with mostly there was John Wesley, mm-hmm. um, and I like him because he talks about both a personal and a and a public a, a communal. She could tell him very communal, <laughs> um, yeah. uh, personal, like in a communal sanctification. Um, that is indeed the work of the Holy spirit. Right. Um, I think that there are a lot of great secular groups and workers that are doing great work that we should partner in, partner with. And I also think that Christian work should look different. Yeah. The movement of the Holy spirit makes that look a little different. Mm-hmm. Um, I also like, john wesley's discussion of it because it's about um love love of neighbor love of community Mm -hmm. so in my very like shortest version i say to have sanctified imagination is to try to see life through god's eyes Mm -hmm. right try to see a freeing world through the eyes of the great liberator and to be different now i recognize um that the christian imagination has done all sorts of harm
0: mm-hmm.
1: right um and that is why it's important for me to have it be communal because it has to be checked right mm-hmm. imagination is great and powerful it doesn't always lead to good yes right um yeah. so having it community based by a community of faith is what will hopefully check it right so that someone will be able to say okay let's test this for a moment right um I hope I answered your question (laughs) you
0: you did and actually one of the other questions I've I've had about this is the the way that community features so well in or or so prominently Mm -hmm. in all of this Mm -hmm. um because I don't know like the thing about um youth Ministry in a lot of contexts is it becomes this silo. I use that term a lot, right? This mm-hmm. silo or this arm mm-hmm. of the wider body of the church. And if all of this, th- this is not about youth ministers. This is not just, you know, about youth ministers and, and a one to one or a, a one to youth group
1: mm-hmm.
0: relationship.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What you're talking about is the call to the entire community to have this responsibility for just like what you were saying about in the Heights, you know, to help young people imagine a world that's better than the one that we can imagine.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: whether it's a volunteer or a leader or a group or whatever, that those who are called by God to work with the young people themselves are called to infiltrate the entire community as well. Mm-hmm. and to allow that the imagination of young people, which they have firsthand access to in particular ways, to kind of transform the entire community. I'm glad you raised the, the fact that, you know, the Christian imagination has done tremendous harm mm-hmm. um, over the centuries in many contexts. It's also done tremendous good. Yes. Um, but that's the nature of the human institution, I think that's what stand out for me in, in our conversation right now is that it's not just about we, the Christian community, have this sanctified imagination and therefore we need to nurture it in youth It's well. Mm-hmm. Well, actually, we have to work on ourselves as individuals and as a community as well, mm-hmm. um, especially if we're going to take seriously the idea that young people can imagine worlds that we can't, we have right. to step back. And, right. and let them lead us into those visions.
1: Right. Because not only do we nurture youth, we I mean, need youth nurture us. Yeah. There is a beauty and a passion of seeing a young people, a young person that just has not been squelched by society. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they still got hope. They still mm-hmm. have dream. They still have. And that's a beautiful thing. Um, you know, and and being... I'm just gonna be realizing that young people is not a monolith no generation is a monolith but to be somewhat stereotypical here um you have this young hope dream we're gonna make things better and then this old like yeah tried it don't work life is evil right um right. which i'm not gonna lie i wake up on that side of bed often
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, yeah
1: like go fight the good fight i'm done <laughs> mm-hmm. um um but if we fought the good fight together Mm -hmm. right maybe i wouldn't be so worn out yeah um and the in the text i talk about this bi-directional mentoring because i think it has to be communal that includes young people right Mm -hmm. and you talk about youth ministry being a silo and for me it's young people are either a part of the church or they're not yes my answer is they're a part of the church. I hate the phrase "church of the future."
0: Oh, church of the future too. are
1: folks who have not joined the church yet, yeah.
0: right? Yeah, exactly. That's the
1: church of the future, right? Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it raises so, so many other questions. If they're not the church yet, then especially in a in traditions with that baptize infants, then what's the point of that?
0: Yeah. Yeah. And right. like,
1: then you shouldn't be baptized till you're 18.
0: <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and if we adults see ourselves as the church of the present, right. what does it say that these people who are right with us, right. only by virtue of their age, do we deem them to be not part of the church of the present? I mean, that's a lot of our power as, as adults and our mm-hmm. lack of imagination it reminds me a lot of some of the work done a a number of decades ago about spirituality by, by folks like David Hay and Rebecca Nye and all the stuff that's come after them Um, spirituality with children. And this idea that um, we are born with an inherent spiritual spark. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think David Hay uses the the term uh, the, our adult worlds more often than not socialize us to get out of touch with our spiritual capacities than to actually allow them to be unleashed. There's a similarity here in in this sense that it's this this spirituality, this sanctified imagination they naturally have that we need to continue to, to, I don't even want to say provoke. I mean, in a lot of ways, what we do matters, but it's also what we don't do Mm -hmm. and, and allowing them to, allow our own imaginations to, to be unleashed. A lot of folks who listen are leaders in congregations and parishes mm-hmm. um, or in denominations who work with with people on the front lines in, in ministry with young people mm-hmm. and, and communities. Um, how do, wh- what are the steps that, I don't wanna say there are steps, yeah. Give me the 10 mm-hmm. top tips and the five steps <laughs> for surefire success. No, but <laughs> in all seriousness, um, what, what do congregations do, not just the leaders, but the entire congregations? What? How do we transform ourselves as faith communities to be communities that, that do this emancipatory work you're talking about?
1: So I'll start with uh, youth leaders. Part of the job of youth leaders would be to advocate for their youth. mm mm-hmm. You know, the advocacy doesn't always yield what we want it to yield, but you need to be the one that's constantly saying in, you know, staff meetings or whatever, um, that youth need to be more represented, more involved, right? Mm -hmm. Are there young people on your board of trustees? Are there young people in different decision-making bodies Mm-hmm. When you are designing Christian Ed curriculum, right? If you have a group that you know, if you if you are so lucky <laughs> to have a group <laughs> right. that helps you do that, um, are there young people with that? Do you, um, when you are putting together various youth ministry classes, series, retreats, whatever? Mm-hmm. How involved are young people in planning those things? Are yes. there your advisors? Yes, right. Um, we don't, none of us should plan anything by just staying in our own head. We have to talk to people, right? Mm-hmm. Our young people, some of those people that you talk to. So we start there with, with actually giving spaces in which we can hear their voice. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I say it that way, cause we don't need to give them a voice. They have voices Yeah. we need, but what we have is access to those spaces where they can use their voice and say mm-hmm. what they have to say, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, have us listen. Then it's also about, I think, incorporating as much as the congregation as you can. When I did youth ministry, I was grateful to have one other person that I worked with who had a very different personality from me. Mm-hmm. If Myers-Briggs is any indication, we always joke about how we are completely opposite and like we're both to the extreme on particular things. Right. Yeah. And that was helpful for several reasons. Right. So I would lead us in these, you know, private meditation kind of things. And she'd stay up all night playing cards. Perfect. But also the recognition that um, we're just not going to click with everybody. Mm -hmm. Like Every young person that came through my group didn't like me. And just to be fair, I don't like them either, right? Like every yeah, personality is yeah. clicking.
0: Right <laughs> exactly. Click.
1: Um, the more, the merrier, and mm-hmm. I also love that we could show the diversity, especially in a society that cookie cuts what a Christian woman ought to look like. But mm. we could show these two very different ways of being. Yes. Right. Um, that's an important model too. And that's part of the reason why I like the idea of mentorship and bi-directional mentorship. Who are those people in the congregation that can work with young people? And even if it's just for one session, even if it's just, you know, here's how you knit, even if it's just, but you're putting together these various relationships. One of the reasons I am so communal is because I believe strongly you need people. Mm -hmm. And the more people in your camp, the better. And, you know, we can say we, you know, it takes a village to raise a child and we don't have villages in the United States, but create a village, like do your very Mm -hmm. best to create a village in quotation marks um, for these young folk. And it's a way that the entire congregation can own this youth ministry without voluntarily going to go on a lock-in or teach a class or you know what I mean mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. you just know that Miss Betty likes to teach people how to soap so if yes. that's something that someone looks interested in you know they will go to miss Betty right yeah
0: yeah um, and you don't have to sign the adults up for a three-year intensive no. mentorship process <laughs> where you're gonna lead this person for the you know their secondary school years it's like no Maybe just this one session, you yeah. you get to know each other better.
1: Yep, and yeah. and if you continue to do that, then you can also have space where it will become organic, right? Yeah. Um, then you'll have these spaces of conversations across the generations that you won't need the youth leader to, mm-hmm. you know, to connect it because while sewing with Miss Betty and and the young person realized I really don't like sewing. Ms., you know but talks about the cookies they like to make miss betty will say well you know mr john really does some bacon right? yes, <laughs> like, yes you should go bake with him we don't have to do programs what we're trying right. to do is community um yeah. and there are ways that we can do it in ways that are very organic
0: again you use the term a couple times as bi-directional mentorship where we adults are being mentored by the young people just as they as, as we are trying to Yep. have a hand in, in mentoring them not to make them into our image right. but as you said right at the beginning to help them to be their true selves mm-hmm. the the person that god created them to be uh in this world
1: and and realizing the voice that they have i think one of the things that also makes makes me frustrating to listen to um <laughs> is that what I am describing is messy yeah I don't have five tips for you I don't yeah. have right and people will ask me well how do I do this in my church and I would say I I, I don't I don't know I don't know your church like I, I can't I cannot answer that for you I can tell you some things to look for I can give you some questions to think about yeah the fact of the matter is this is messy yeah. um, and playful and dynamic and things will be great and things will fail catastrophically
0: yeah that's right (laughs) right but but isn't that isn't that related like is that not a product of our own lack of sanctified imagination to want top tips and 10 steps and things like that
1: and it's a yeah. it's a product of not having had our own um, our own emancipatory pedagogy. Yeah. Right. If we have if if our education, our understanding of education is somebody opens up our brain and pour in some content, right, then that is going to be what we look for and what we do. And yeah. to be honest with you, that's easier. Yeah. And <laughs> that's right. And a joke that I often say, um, and I do not have kids, which is why I tell this joke. Um, I often talk about how I would not, I don't actually want to raise the child that I want to have had raised, Mm. right? Because I want to have had raised a person who is strong and challenging and independent and thoughtful and, um, does some serious critical thinking. I want to raise a child that will shut up and do what they are told. (laughs) (laughs) God bless my mother. I do not want to raise me. (laughs) Um, So I thank the Lord for my mother every day. Um, um, And I think it's the same thing in classrooms, right? I want deep discussion. I want to give space for thought where someone says, huh, and I want a brilliant insight that takes us on tangents that yeah. makes us think deeply. And I want people to follow the syllabus, read the book and hush, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. those two things don't work together. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I, am, what I often do for myself is create more work than my <laughs> peers. <laughs> yeah. Right, and I create more work that are that is um, unknown and you know unfamiliar to many of my students. And because it is unfamiliar, because I'm not lecturing for three hours, because it is a little weird, they also mm-hmm. question this academic integrity. Yes, I want to create spaces where with art and deal with folks that say this is not kindergarten. I don't color right? Yeah. Um, what I'm inviting people to do is hard because different is hard, but yeah. different is also good. Yes. And different will capture the people that have been falling through the cracks for centuries. And the yeah. fact of the matter is um, the status quo is covered. Mm-hmm. So people who, who thrive on the status quo, they will have no problems finding places to be. <laughs> Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. but going against the grain and doing different things will catch people who have no other place to be yeah and I just went on my own tangent there and I don't even remember the question I'm sorry
0: (laughs) yeah well I'm glad you did (laughs) it it just reminds me so much like uh, as a theological educator as well like I'm starting classes next week I'm like yes tell (laughs) me more this is this is why I got into this Mm -hmm. um but relating it back to congregational and and community ministry with young people, uh, the same thing we that you can you said about academic integrity, we can almost just substitute the word Christianity. Yeah, right? the, yeah. the people we, we might have young people in our lives whose imaginations push us so far out of the bounds of. Uh, I don't know, um, theological integrity, Christian, by integrity, I mean Mm -hmm. some closed box about this is what counts as Christianity that we wonder, does this have value or our communities Mm -hmm. wonder, does this have value? Mm -hmm. But we only know if we listen and we only do that work in community. And yes, it has value because it is coming from a young person that God has given a voice that God has given life and imagination to And therefore it has inherent value. Now that does, that also means we test it in community, but we test ourselves. We're not sitting up there like, like the Supreme court of Christianity saying what is lawful and what isn't, you know, if young people are part of our communities, as you said, they're either in the church or they're not in the church. They're either in the community Mm -hmm. or they're not in the community. Mm -hmm. Um, When we do that work together, it, it, it does become that bi-directional but i think it's so it's good and it's hopeful mm-hmm.
1: yeah cuz life is i mean life is messy right when you yeah. do new things you have no idea if it's going to be great or a disaster yeah but there is value in just the fact that you did a new things yeah right like there's value in creating yeah um that in and of itself is worth the price of admission so to speak
0: right so that reminds me of that question that I asked when you said, Oh, I went on a tangent. I don't remember the question um, about how we do this and how Mm -hmm. leaders do this in congregations. And I'm hearing you say you, you just do it. Like you don't do it perfectly and you don't come up with a four year plan for doing it. You take one step
1: Mm -hmm. and
0: see what happens.
1: I will give, I won't give five steps. I'll give you one. (laughs) Perfect. This is, this is, this, this is where you start talk to your youth, talk to your congregation. Oh, two steps. Um, Talk to your youth, (laughs) talk to your congregation. What needs do you have? What needs are being met? What would you like to do? Yeah. And you don't even have to ask questions. You can just talk, Mm -hmm. right? One time I was doing a Bible study and it just so happened that there were no boys there.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. I, I, I don't know why. And the conversation got really deep right? Mm -hmm. in ways that it hadn't gotten before. And one of the girls said, you know, I would never say this if boys were in the room.
0: Yeah.
1: From that statement, we did a separate ministry for girls.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. That did not come from a survey. (laughs) Mm -hmm. or a question, or a, what do you think? Because if I had asked them, what do you think what ministries are missing? They probably would have never said a ministry for girls. Yes. Right. That came from conversation. And as someone who's worked with youth, I think everyone listening will relate to some of the best conversations you have are just like driving home from a trip. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And it's just like, okay. So they said this, this shows this particular need. I wonder how we can do this need. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to talk to them again, because I have a, I have the ability to just to be extra. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm like, you know, um, oh, they need more girls. So we're going to split the Bible study every week. We gonna, you know, <laughs> like we're going to, mm-hmm. and then we're just going to have all these women come in and then we're just going to have like girl August. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just too much. It's just, yep. just, just calm it down. And, you know, the relationship I had with the young people, I would bring it to them. I was like, this is what I'm thinking. And they were like, okay, you are being a little extra, Ms. Annie. So instead of doing like these six things, how about we do this one? Yeah. Right. Um, And it's continued conversation. The group of girls didn't last long. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, that's part of the thing with youth ministry, right? Like, you you know, people graduate, they move on. Right.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: It didn't last beyond those people that were in that room originally. Right. And that's okay yeah. because it serves the need of the people that it had. Right. Yeah. And I think that's the other thing we can get locked into, you know, we do something twice and now it's a tradition and we got to do it forever. Yes. Right.
0: <laughs> um,
1: right. But our, the thing with youth ministry is there are always people coming in. There are always people leaving. It is yeah. constantly a different population.
0: And those people right? are changing.
1: Yeah. So you have to have yeah. those conversations all the time. Yeah. And again, it doesn't need to be formal. Can I take you out to coffee or mm-hmm. lunch? Or Okay, I was just going to say something really old. I don't know what young people eat. But, uh, no, <laughs>
0: but, excuse
1: me, we'll but we can listen.
0: We can listen <laughs> right, and right. learn and have our culinary imagination stretched. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, I am so grateful for our time together today. Um, I'm grateful for mm. your wisdom and your commitment to this deep and difficult and beautiful work of Mm -hmm. nurturing young people so they can be free to be who God calls them to be.
1: Mm -hmm. Amen.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much. I appreciated this and enjoyed this conversation.
0: If listeners want to learn more, you should definitely uh, pick up a copy of Annie's book, uh, Nurturing the Sanctified Imagination of Urban Youth. (laughs) Annie, thanks so much.
1: Thank you. Thanks
0: for tuning in to the Faith Forward podcast series. If you want to learn more from creative thinkers and innovative leaders, be sure to subscribe or visit faith-forward.net.